Howdy, folks, and welcome to Session Zero, the Choose Your Old Adventure podcast. I'm Matthew, a.k.a. Grim or Grimnir on the server. And today we're going to do something a bit different because it's a we this time. Today we have a guest on this podcast episode. He is Tristan, known as the True Try on the server, and I'll leave it to him to introduce himself. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Tristan. I've been a DM for two and a half years now. Today's episode, what I'd like to focus on is a topic that Tristan suggested actually directly, which is recreating fictional characters in the Dungeons & Dragons rules. The last time I recall doing this myself was actually in 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons when my oldest son was just getting old enough to sit at the adult table and actually play instead of scribble on a blank character sheet. His character at that time was Uni, a baby unicorn, who on paper was actually an Aladdin warlock because the 4E rules that really worked for duplicating the powers of Uni from the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Uh, I think he was four at the time. I love to bring this up in front of his friends to embarrass him. But we have a different character this time, and uh, why don't I let uh, Tristan talk about who that is? Well, uh, today we have, uh, as suggested, Rand Althor from the Wheel of Time series. Rand, a boy grown into a man over the book series, is a Taveran, meaning somebody who kind of is a part of the flow of fate and can affect it, which is kind of a crazy thing. I'm not quite sure exactly how to recreate that in D&D. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's part more a plot thing, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I tried to um, find subclass abilities or some sort of things that can stem, or like kind of create different things. Anyway, we'll talk about that more in a minute. Um, there was also elements of when he starts his time in the books, he's an excellent archer. So that's something that I think is important to emphasize. And as well as he grows, goes on, he becomes more... Uh, a wielder of magic and one of the and the most powerful in the world essentially one of the things i'd like i'd like to break in here i went preparing for this i was planning to do the talk about who this character is but four episodes in i did not know he was highly skilled with a bow and i gave up at that point <laughs> that's it yeah no i i, I yeah it's it's very uh interesting and then he, there's also elements of um during the books he of course the channeling magic for men in this uh world of the wheel of time is tainted uh, by the dark one and so there's kind of elements there of corruption and darkness i wasn't sure exactly how to but then he eventually defeats the, that element of it um and like overcomes it so much uh, so one of the things this does uh, sort of allude to or, or, or gesture towards is that a lot of the stuff involved in his character arc is really tied to the setting and the peculiarities of it. So, of course, when you're doing this kind of exercise, when you have a particular character that you want to play as a character, you really have to work with the DM to make sure that you're fitting that character into the lore and making sure you're not hanging on to those parts that are going to interfere with it being the DM's world and the story they're planning out. Uh, and obviously this goes without saying, but you know, if, if the story being told is a, you're going to go out and save the world plot, 
Freak coming to the table with a, a vengeance plot character. My parents were killed by a person, and all I want is revenge. It might work if if they can do it, but I find those characters very uh, violent. I'm playing one now, <laughs> but uh, I am playing it, playing her with the intention of growth as well. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, I always say if I'm going to do that, it's like, well, this is a horrible and evil thing to do, honestly. So hopefully we'll be able to make this character turn around and grow out of this impulse. To I'll be talking about that exact thing more on the next podcast, actually. Oh, awesome. Awesome. All right. So uh, that's most of the things I would want to cover myself before uh, starting on building one of these characters. So what are some of the powers in the book? Uh, and, and let's uh, see your build as you try to duplicate them. Yeah. So with those criteria we kind of talked about, he was an archer at the beginning and later on kind of a very powerful magic user. We start out, I guess I'll start with the lineage first, half elf, because we're going to be stat dependent primarily. And of course, I would flavor this as human, except they're a half elf kind of thing, because Wheel of Time doesn't have anything except humans. Yeah, I was going to say, his eyes, ears did not seem all that pointy. Yeah, but yeah, I'm a big fan of reflavoring, yeah. Yeah, just basically a reflavor. He's going to start out as a fighter. Now that that's so that he can get the archery fighting style at level one, as he is an excellent archer. Of course, he also has the outlander background, uh, being out on the outskirts of society. That's actually one of my things I was wondering about with you're going to go, uh, what was it, folk hero or or outlander. But yeah, outlander makes sense. If you're going to do the skills and whatnot, sometimes it makes sense. I I, th I chose outlander because at the beginning of the story, he doesn't really become a folk hero anywhere in particular. I mean, I, I guess as a group, he helps save the town. I, thought, I can't remember the name of now. This is embarrassing. Two rivers, yes. But I feel like it's a group effort and not just him. I'm somewhat biased because I like Perrin the best. But anyways, uh, so th this also keys in uh, to something I'll talk a little bit about later when we go up in levels. Interestingly, Rand doesn't wear armors. So the fact that we get heavy armor proficiency <clears throat> doesn't really benefit. Though if you wanted to maximize the awesomeness of this character uh, at their survivability you would probably still wear uh, medium armor uh, for the duration of playing the character. Yeah, that's one of the things I think when people are setting out with the idea of duplicating a character they've seen in fiction in one form or another, I think it's really important to remember, like, let some things go because they just don't work. We're playing a game here. It's not strictly a story. So their stats, of course, will be high in dexterity for their archery abilities, high in constitution. But because we're eventually going to become a very powerful caster, and here's maybe a hint at what kind of caster, charisma is actually going to be the highest statistic. Oh, so they're totally going to be a warlock, right? I don't want to give it away. So that, that's kind of the three main stats that I've kind of thought about. Now, dex or con, probably dex higher because of, you want to actually be good with the bow at the lower, lower starting levels. That's kind of established our beginning. Level two, we're going to get fighter level two, which gives the almighty action surge, which, so what if you can shoot another arrow on your turn once per short rest, whatever. Not, the, not that amazing, but you know what? It's very versatile. You could also dash with it, or you could 
do all sorts of things. Give somebody a potion. We're going with the, the original 5e rules right now, which means that you could also maybe cast a spell with this action. Anyways, moving on. Level 3, Ron, Rand has moved on a little bit and grown up. Has at, And at this level 3 point is probably about the point at the Two Rivers, two rivers battle. He has now become a sorcerer. Now that this, so I chose sorcerer here because it's kind of the most explosive spellcaster to me. Wizard being the most versatile, whatever. But Rand is just a very fiery individual, and so I looked at the options in terms of subclass as well, which you pick right away. And I chose wild magic. Now I considered clockwork soul because it has some very interesting abilities, and that was going to be reflavored as kind of the weave or something as opposed to some sort of connection with sorry the other plane mechanos or whatever it's called yeah anyway sorry but yeah so i chose wild magic primarily because of the things that you get out of it hides of chaos which you can gain advantage on an attack roll once for long rest and when you have to roll on the wild magic surge table you get it back uh, so that could be really interesting. And then at higher levels, you get bend luck. And so that sort of manipulating of how things work in the game seems to, feels like an element of the character. Yeah, that certainly does. And I was, uh, I, I was joking when I said warlock because it also seems like magic is definitely an inborn thing. Like the, I, I, I've, we've encountered some ladies from the White Tower, whatever that is, who seem like they'd probably be more classed as wizards because they've actually formally studied this stuff. I don't think I don't know if Rand ever does. From my recollection, he studies there for a few months and then realizes they're never going to let him actually learn anything, and then he goes off on his own. They think he's too dangerous, kind of thing. It's very interesting um, parallels with what I'm looking for. A adolescence. That's that's the word I'm looking for. Anyways, so so we've chosen Wild Magic Sorcerer. We get Wild Magic Surge when we cast a spell. Uh, we roll a d20, and if it's a 1, it creates a secondary magical effect. Now, the odds of that are quite low. I've, I like to play with the rule personally with the DM, where the odds increase every time you roll, if it hasn't gone off. I, w I was actually going to say I did that exact rule uh, last time I had somebody playing a wild magic sorcerer in my campaign because we were sitting there. Yeah, and it was never going off. It's like, well, this is no fun. And then it finally did. And he silenced himself and all his spells, that verbal component. It was great. So 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 we've got we've got our sorcerer at uh, level three, sorcerer level one. And we're, we're going to get some nice cantrips, mending message as he seems to be able to communicate in a limited sense with those he knows i say i i haven't talked about the attack cantrips no i didn't think firebolt and that sort of thing he doesn't really have those at the beginning so i just gave him control flames and green flame blade as an option because at this point he also wields the sword which i would classify as a rapier just because he's dexterity not strength 
and then you know you can uh, flavor it however you want. Uh, and then I gave him the burning hands and absorb element spells. I'm not so sure about the absorb elements from the thematic standpoint. Maybe silvery barbs would be better. That basically from here on we're gonna be sorcerer all the way. And with this these, this two level fighter dip giving us some amount of uh, ability before level five, our bow's probably better than the um uh an attack cantrip but by uh level five i would probably pick up firebolt as one of the additional cantrips and go from there kind of thing because of course at level five cantrips start to scale by doing 2d10 damage and such and so forth and he's never going to get two attacks because he's never going to hit level five fighter that's right that's right and so when you really need to the key thing with action surge is oh we could do lots of explosive magic in one turn kind of thing by casting uh, Shatter and then cast Shatter again or that sort of thing. And that being said, in the new rules, uh, in the one D&D rules, they're intending to get rid of that, this option. You could take two levels of the fighter and then really nuke it for a turn, double fireball or whatever. But uh, at least that seems to be the way they're going. Of course, they haven't finalized any of the rules, but that, so th this is kind of building this explosive rage character uh, that can really uh, dish out the damage. Going up into higher levels, we're gonna take, we're gonna get our meta magic. That's gonna give us empowered spell, subtle spell. Those are the two options I took. As I'm pretty sure I recollect that there were some times in where he could cast without evoking or moving his hands, that sort of thing. Uh, and if we well empowered because you know at second level scorching ray is a great attack spell but i didn't feel like it was thematic to the show or the book um and so i i went with invisibility darkness and shatter as the second level spells the first time you get our first feat that we get at sorcerer level four if you did point by probably got a 17 in charisma so we really want to make that even so i went with instead of doing a pure asi uh, to get the charisma as high as possible which is always what you want i went with gift of the gem dragon which provides plus one to charisma or intelligence wisdom uh, your choice and also provides a nice reaction called telekinetic reprisal which kind of moves back into this super blaster guy. Uh, it's basically telekinetic reprisal basically works like Hellish Rebuke, but has a, a shorter range limitation on it. And you can do that proficiency bonus wise for long rest, which is pretty great. Uh, and then level seven plus, once we get to level seven, we're a level five sorcerer. And of course, picking up fireball, lightning bolt, all that good stuff. And kind of remaining feats, I went with divinely favored Gift of Metallic Dragon, and then, of course, getting the Charisma to 20. You can pick which order you would do those in. I chose Metallic Dragon because he does actually heal somewhat in uh, the books. But he's, he's not able to revive, but he's able to heal somewhat. And so that that's kind of the way I went about getting there. Because uh, What about the Divinely Favored? What does that feat do? So that's a new one with the Dragonlance campaign. Uh, and you basically get the augury spell and a first level spell of 
warlock, cleric, or a third option, which I can't remember. I think paladin. And I went with cause fear. And this is kind of like the dark one powers coming through a little bit. Anyway, yeah, so the rest of the build. So you've got uh, some lovely uh, options that are that sound like they're really thematically appropriate for the feats and probably would make a fun character to play at the table. What about some highlights of the spell selection of higher levels? Yeah, so I didn't really go above fourth level spells. You could probably have your choice above that because there's lots of fun options. But yeah, fourth level spells, I think Banishment... Dimension door definitely feel appropriate. Of course, upcasting fireball or lightning bolt. <laughs> Some of the divination spells I think would be good. And of course, plane shift and teleportation. He does manage those at points. So that that's kind of the spell selections I would probably go with. Sounds awesome. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that you've done with this build is you've not only paid attention to what would be a fun character to play, but also trying to keep things that are thematically appropriate. And it is sort of a lower magic setting. And having watched the first three, four, five episodes of the TV series, uh, Shatter sounds like a great choice. It, it visually matches what a lot of the characters were doing on screen. You have to, when you're multi-classing, which is a lot of times how you get really interesting characters, like in this case, where they can, they start out as something and then turn into something else or, um, and still hold on to some of the other things, like the fighter giving the sorcerer more armor class and the ability to do action surge, which increases their burst power in one turn kind of thing. Um, so when you're multi-classing, you have to make sure that you have 13 in the main statistics for that class. Uh, so like fighter, you get to choose between strength or dexterity. And with sorcerer, you have to have at least 13 in charisma. For the half-casters, paladin, ranger, and monk, you have to have two stats having 13, which can be sometimes limiting um, if you don't want to go in that direction. When I speak of multi-classing, the reason I brought it up was when you're building characters, you kind of want to pay attention so that your character doesn't go too mad, uh, or you might find that they're less effective at all the things you want them to do. Uh, now, when I say mad, what I, th what, what I mean is uh, multi- multi-ability score dependent and so like if you have a flat stats of all 14 or something like that and you try to do a roll you'd be probably 15 maybe 20 percent less likely to succeed than somebody else at something and that can be pretty demoralizing when you want to your character to succeed so you actually want your characters to be sad which is single ability score dependent that can be an interesting thing to play with though it didn't really go on with rand here uh so yeah that's that's kind of that's randall thor and uh feel feel free to uh shout at me about all the things i missed so for the rest of this episode i'm actually going to talk a bit about what we're going to be doing next time and a big thank you to uh tristan for doing that anybody you want to thank before i move on shout outs to my favorite character building youtube channels uh because of course they inspired me to be a better character builder uh D, D daily and d4 deep dive they taught me a lot about 
things interact with each other as well. The Dungeon Dudes recently did a series of character multi-classing videos, and they just did a nice summary one where they talked about kind of a design space of multi-classing, uh, how there's kind of different aspects of good ways to build the characters kind of thing. Like you want to stay within the charisma casters if you're a charisma caster or bird thing or fighter, kind of just goes with everything. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Tristan for joining me and doing most of the heavy lifting on this topic. That's definitely much appreciated. Next episode, in two weeks' time, I'm going to be talking about Baldur's Gate 3, which has been completely destroying my sleep schedule and I think the sleep schedule of many others. What I want to talk about is not its sleep-depriving aspects, but as I was playing it, I was getting so much inspiration on how to improve my game as a game master and as a player. So next episode, we'll be talking about how much this game is improving your game. If you have thoughts on that, please do let me know either private message on Discord or in the public chat channel for the podcast. I do think this podcast is better when I have somebody with me to discuss the topic. So if you're interested in being that person for my discussion on Baldur's Gate 3 in the two weeks time, please hit me up. Uh, again, just private message on the Discord or public message on the Discord channel for the podcast. Thanks, and I'll see you in two weeks' time.